You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. As a church, we've been in a series that we're coming to the end of. We have this week and next week, and then, then a little bit of like an in-between series that we've called The Church That Jesus Is Building. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says this, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is building his church, and he's building it upon himself. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. It's his church, not our church, and he's building it upon himself. He's calling us to himself. He allows us to be part of the process, which is amazing, and we get to partner with him, but it's always been and it will always be built upon Jesus. Jesus says that he's building the church, and he commissions us as his disciples to go make disciples. So if Jesus is building his church, what does that church look like? Can I give you a quick recap? Um, And I realize we've been doing this for quite a while. We're into week 17 or 16 or 17 of this. Um, So let me, as we come to the end of the series, give you a recap of some of the things that we have unpacked so far. The church that Jesus is building exists for his glory. All of these are on our podcast. You can go back and listen to them if you missed any. It exists for his glory. It's a church for all generations, not just one generation. It's a church of disciples. We have to be disciples if we're gonna make disciples. It's a church that knows him and makes him known. It's all about him. It's an unstoppable church. Can you say amen? It's unstoppable. It's a place and a people of encouragement. I love that. We are called to be a house of encouragement, a people of encouragement. It's real relationship, not rote religion. We don't come to put on an external show. We come to be transformed in his presence. It's a place of praise and a people whose number one call is to minister to Jesus. Let that bring some freedom to somebody this morning. I feel like for somebody, you've said church is where I come to do the church things. God's saying this morning, no, no, no. It's a place where first and foremost we come to minister to him. It's a prophetic people who live by the voice of God. It's a relational people. It's an apostolic people, a going and ascending people. Not just the coming, but a going and ascending. It's a house of prayer for all nations. It's a generous people. It's a place of agape love. It's a place of first love. It's a community for the display of his splendor. This has been a big, and I think for me it's been a powerful series, a series that should be challenging us and setting, setting the culture for who God's called us to be as a church. It's about heart. It's about hosting his presence. It's about being disciples who make disciples. I hope that it's also bringing freedom to you. That we go, wow, God, thank you for who you're making us into. Thank you for who you're forming us to be. But let me be free. Let me be free of wrong expectations and wrong mindsets and wrong things that have been placed upon me or I've placed upon myself. And that's my prayer for us even today is that God would bring freedom. Would you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 14? If we're going to be the church that Jesus is building, then leadership matters. The church that Jesus is building has God-ordained leaders that release. It's leadership that equips and that releases the priesthood of all believers. That's you and I. It's every person who calls Jesus Lord to be who God's called them to be and to do what he's called them to do. 
Acts chapter 14 is this great picture of, of apostolic ministry. And before, be, before this, Paul and Barnabas had been in, in Antioch. And then it says this from verse 1 of chapter 14. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained there for a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Lord, we want that in our midst. We want to be this people. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with the rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, I mean, this is the sort of opposition that they are facing. It wasn't just, we don't like you. They wanted to kill them. <coughs> to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and to Derbe, cities um, of Lyconia, whatever. <laughs> Other cities around the place and <laughs> to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Then they, 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 they go to Lystra, another city, and the Lord heals, um, it's in this next section, the Lord heals a crippled man who was crippled from birth, and I love this, it stirs up the whole city. See, when, when God's on the move, when God's doing things, it should stir up the city. It's not just for a church gathering, a meeting within the four walls. When God is moving in us and with a church who he's building, it should stir up the city around us. Some who are like, tell me about this, Jesus, I have to know. And some who are in opposition to what's happening because they're uncomfortable. Because it stirs up. We're in a, there's a spiritual reality. Let's jump down to verse 19. It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. So the last two places that they'd been. And having persuaded the crowd, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Who, who wants to say amen to preaching the gospel, being driven out of a city, then preaching the gospel again, the whole city being stirred up, and then being stoned, and they just drag you out of the city because they think you're dead? A lot of us like to amen the good worship songs. Say, yeah, God, use me, as long as there's no opposition. But not many of us are prepared to be stoned to supposed death. <laughs> Except for Ethan. <laughs> and I love that about you, Ethan. By the way, happy birthday, Ethan. You legend. You absolute legend. Um, I'm getting sidetracked. But when the disciples gathered about him, I love this. They're like, no, no, this isn't, this isn't his time. Disciples gathered about him. He rose up. And he went back into the city. When you have had a revelation of Jesus and what he's called us to, being disciples and make disciples, like they stone him, they think he's dead, they drag him out, the disciples get around him, I'm sure they prayed for him. He comes, he gets back up and he goes, well, the call hasn't changed. Go back into the city where they just stoned him to supposed death. He rose up and entered the city and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. They went back to the places that they had already been, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in faith. 
and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. It's not easy, we're gonna face hardship, but this is the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then they passed through um, Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Elodie. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia, and from there they sailed to Antioch. I practiced them, and I underlined them in my Bible. Just Where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared, they testified to all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles and there remained no little time with the disciples. This is New Testament Christianity. They preached the gospel. God confirmed it with signs and wonders. There was opposition. The city was stirred up. But in every place that they went, from city to city, whether they were driven out or they went by their own will, people were saved Disciples were made. They went back to those places and churches, local churches in those areas were established. They released leadership so that church could continue to grow and make disciples and see the kingdom advanced. In Titus 1 verse 5, Paul writes to Titus and he says this, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put on what remained, uh, so you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. In 1 Timothy 3, it talks about elders and deacons. Ephesians 4 talks about equipping of the saints for the works of the ministry. For a church to be a church according to the Bible, it needs elders, deacons, and saints. It needs to be a people of disciples who make disciples. It needs to preach the gospel, and it needs to see a release or a confirmation of that in the power of God being released that stirs up the city around us. You can hang out with other believers, but it's not in church until there's God-ordained elders, deacons, and saints. We see this a lot in Western culture. It's kind of just believers want to hang out together and say, hey, we're a church, and, but we're not actually doing what God's called us to do or being who he's called us to be. In the Bible, leadership within a local church community is recognized by others. It's ordained through the laying on of hands of leaders from outside the immediate context after fasting and prayer. This is not just good ideas. God has a way. Leadership for the church that Jesus is building to be the church that he's building is important. It's not all that there is because it's actually about the saints, the priesthood of all believers being released to minister. But leadership's important because if we don't get it right, we don't release saints to minister. How we approach leadership in the, in the church determines the culture of the church. Whether we equip and release people or not, how we host his presence, um, in many ways it determines the health of the church. We can't become something that we're not. We can't, sorry, we, we, we are becoming like him and we're not there. Let me clarify that. We can't, uh, we can't take people somewhere that we're not willing to go. Much of the hurt, can I be honest, that people have experienced in the church, and maybe some of you today have experienced that hurt, often comes from poor leadership. Often people with great hearts who love Jesus, but who are trying to minister within a model or a structure 
that breeds insecurity on one hand or control on the other hand, or that limits the church from being who God's called us or made us to be. We miss it. We make it about an organization rather than about bringing his presence to a lost and broken world. I pray this morning that we would have a heart shift, that freedom would come, that we would be a people who say, I want to be a people who take your presence to a lost and broken world. I say yes to you, Jesus. It's just our heater. Being, it's, it's, it's heating us up. Well, on windy days, sometimes it likes to make noises, so don't freak out. Many churches have imported um, a business model of leadership into the church, but the church is not a business. As we saw last week, the church is the ecclesia. That's the word that the Bible uses. The called out community, the gathering of believers that hosts his presence and take it to those around us. The Bible describes the church as the bride, the temple, or the body of Jesus. Nowhere does it ever talk about a business or an organization. Nowhere does it ever say the business of church. The church is a business. But we wonder why when we try and lead or run like a business or an organization, we wonder why things don't, get, the, the things don't work and people get hurt and it doesn't reflect the church that we see in the New Testament. We don't see the release of signs and wonders. We don't see the, the city being stirred up because we're trying to import something into God's beautiful design that he never intended for us to be. Some of you have seen me use this picture before, but let me help you see some different church leadership models. And this is not to speak against other models, but we want to get to the point of saying, what, is it, what does kingdom leadership look like? What should the church look like that releases the priesthood of all believers? The first one is a hierarchical church. Just a triangle. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Sam, for putting together a cool image for me. Um, many churches build, build in a hierarchy. Some of us might have come from churches like this, where the church exists to serve the leader or the pastor. The senior pastor is the top of the pyramid like a CEO or a business person. Very much often run like a business. Often built around a personality. This model lends itself to the celebrity pastor sort of thing. Um, or naturally gifted leaders. And it's not a, you know... Um, Often it's about climbing a ladder to get to the top. It's like if you do enough stuff and if you serve at, at, at enough things and you set out enough chairs, you can go to the next thing and you, know, you can become a, a deacon or a leader. It's kind of like leadership is the whole focus rather than being a priesthood who is released. Often leadership is given to the most gifted, not necessarily the called. The problem with this model is that it can often end up being controlling. It can become more about the leader's ministry or the brand than equipping saints for the works of ministry and the kingdom. The leader often doesn't want to release other strong, gifted leaders because they might be better, that they might be better and they might end up losing their position. It's about position rather than releasing. The second model, historical model of church leadership is kind of like the exact opposite of the hierarchical one. It's a congregational 
model. It's almost exactly, exactly the opposite. In this model, the pastor exists to serve the church, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but because we're all called to serve each other. But the church is run by the congregation who usually hire or vote in or out a pastor. I would say leaders, but it's actually, they don't hire or vote in and out leaders because actually the leadership in this sort of model rests with the influential in the church, not with those who are called to lead. The church is run by congregation. They hire and vote in and out. Um, somebody, they, they, they bring somebody in who can care for the sheep and do the preaching. In many cases, the pastor ends up being the one who does the ministry, which is not what we're called to in the New Testament. We're all called to minister. We're all called to be disciples who make disciples. But in this model, it's the pastor's the paid pastors who do the ministry. Um, the, the, the leaders in the church are actually the most influential, the power brokers, you could say. The problem with this model is that it tends to breed massive insecurity in leaders because they can be voted in and out. As e- can be voted out as easy as they were voted in. This model often leans toward maintaining rather than advancing. It's very hard to bring about change and transformation if when people are challenged and called up to more, they can just vote you out. It's often easier to change a leader than to change our hearts because it's actually quite confronting when God confronts our hearts. This model, the leaders usually move, move to different congregations at regular intervals, every five years, every seven years, um, which reinforces, again, the, the power base of the influential in the church and breeds insecurity and those that are leading. The third model is actually just no leadership at all. I don't know how you illustrate that, it just, it's a line. We had an in-depth, in-depth conversation about how to illustrate, it's just a line. Um, to be honest, this is often in reaction to the other two ones. People see the hurt or the insecurity or the control from the other two models and they go, well, actually, let's just have no leadership at all because, you know, I don't want that sort of hurt. Um, and so we get rid of leaders and we kind of move away from that or any kind of organized church. We see this often in missional communities or house church where it's sort of like, you know, I've been hurt by organized church, so I'm going to go do and trying to be disciples and trying, we're trying to get back to New Testament reality, but we throw the baby out with the bathwater and we miss some of the truth of what's in here about having impact. With no leadership, these groups rarely grow or have meaningful impact unless somebody begins to lead and then they're not this model anymore. Often, and I've seen this historically in the years that I've been leading, um, when, when this model starts, these things tend to disband or to finish within 18 months to three years. But what if there's a better way? What if there's a better way? What if rather than imposing cultural or business models on the church, we let the Bible determine how the church should be led And let the church be the influential factor in our culture rather than the culture be the influential factor in our church. Can I suggest that if we actually search this out and if it's something that we're interested in to be the church that Jesus is building, there is a better model. And I'm just going to call it a kingdom leadership model. It's a better model. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Christ. I think there's another slide with a cross. There you go. Thank you guys. Follow me as I, this, in this model, 
leadership is not above or below. It's not lording it over and it's not being lorded over. It's I am pursuing Jesus with all that I have. Would you come pursue Jesus with me? And this model leaders are simply those who are called by God to stand in front. It's not about the most gifted or the most talented or the best orators. It's about being called by God. That's why we talk about being added to church. It's not just finding a church that meets all my needs. It's finding a place where Jesus is adding you. And this model leadership is about being called to stand in front of. Someone said, the, you know, the, what's the best way to know if you're a leader? I just look behind and see if anyone's following you. A lot of people who like to claim leadership, but there's nobody following. These are those who are called by God to stand in front. It's Jesus who is the head of his church, and we follow him. We are the bride because he's the bridegroom. We're the temple because of his presence only. We're the body because he's the head. This is, we're the church because he's the head of the church. Not because it's our good idea. It's Jesus who is the head and we follow him. In this model, elders are those who are called to stand in front of because we're going somewhere and we call others to come with us. Deacons are those who oversee areas of ministry so that the saints can be released to be priests, to do ministry, to, to, to be disciples who make disciples, to do the, all, all that God's called us to. We follow Jesus together. We run after Jesus together. Leaders equip and release others to be all who God's called them to be. If leaders aren't doing that, can I suggest that they're not leading the way Jesus has called them to lead? It's not about a ministry or a pastor or a brand. It's only about Jesus. Jesus, I don't think, cares what we call our church. Because it's not our church, it's his church. Melbourne Life Church, Melbourne Life Church, Life to the Nations, Church in Hallam, Church on the Corner, Church of Jesus, the you know, Cornerstone Church. Uh, you know, he doesn't care. The church name is not important. He doesn't look at us as a brand to be promoted. He says, this is my bride, this is my temple, this is my body, I love her, and it's all about him. And it's all about bringing others to know him and growing up to become like him, about pursuing him, about making disciples of him. In this, we don't need titles. You know why? Because we don't need to prove our position. It's not positional. I'm not higher because I have a title. I, I'm, I'm leading because Jesus has called me to lead for this season. Yes, there's biblical qualifications for those who would lead. You can read 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. But within those qualifications, leadership is about calling, not about popularity or celebrity or control. We're servant leaders who call us to more. We lead by example, not through control. We lead as a team, not as a hierarchy. Elodie and I get the privilege to lead the team that leads this church. We are not the senior pastors. We're not the visionary elders. We're not the, you know, the, 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 the focus of all that happens. We get the privilege because we're called by God to lead a team, and the team leads the church, and as a church, we're seeing the kingdom advanced. It's not about my ministry. It's not about Elodie's ministry. It's not about your ministry. It's, it's about him. And it's about you ministering to him. We don't get the vision for everyone else to implement. Can I just say that? 
we lead a team, a plurality of elders who hear God together as a team. Like Revelations 2.29, we want to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. For all of us, we just say, God, let me hear what your Spirit is saying to your church. Let me hear what you're saying. To be the church that Jesus is building, we have to build according to his pattern. We see these amazingly detailed plans in the Old Testament for the building of the temple. It's an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality for who we are, that his presence would come. These amazingly intricate details with weights and measurements. And when they build the temple according to God's pattern in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and chapter 7, it says that the weight, his glory came like a cloud They couldn't even stand before him to minister. They had jobs to do in ministering to Jesus, but they were flat on their face because of the weight of his presence. In in chapter 7 it says, fire came upon the offering. We build according to his pattern, which includes in the area of leadership, his glory comes. What's the purpose? The purpose isn't to go, we're different than somebody else. The purpose is that we want to be a people who host his presence. We don't want anything, whether it's the way we build a church and we lead or the way we do things or our, you know, our understanding of how a meeting should happen, to get in the way of hosting his presence. And so if we see something in the Bible that we're not doing or that we need to do different, we want to go, wow, we need to change we, we, we need to follow him. We need to do what he's doing. When we build according to his pattern, his glory comes. We host his presence well. So we, 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 you know, the whole point of this is so that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. That the city would be shaken. So that those who have been hurt by other models would be healed. So that we can continue to disciple and equip and release everyone into who God's called them to be. Can I say this? As a church, and we pray this often as a leadership team, we do not want to leave a trail of burnt out, hurt, disillusioned saints or leaders. We have to constantly pull down hierarchical thinking. I know sometimes some people say, oh, Pastor Matt, and I'll, and I'll, I'll stop you and i say, I'm not Pastor Matt, it's just Matt. And I get the heart is to honor, and I love that heart. But I'm going to constantly pull down a hierarchical thinking that puts me or any other leader in a position of greater value than you. We have to keep going at it because everything in our culture sets up hierarchy. And that's not the church that Jesus is building. We have to keep pulling down hierarchical thinking in the church. We have to search out and find God's pattern for his church. Not our good culturally accepted ideas. We are not called to reflect the culture. We are called to influence and change the culture that we're in. We want everyone to be released to the fullness of what God's called them to. To love Jesus and to love his church for their whole life. Not for five years when they're teenagers. Not when they're young adults. Not for a little while because they have a good kids ministry. And then they're burnt out and they're disillusioned and they hate the church. Because Jesus doesn't hate his church. Jesus loves his church because it's his body. It's his bride. It's his temple. And he died for us. If you've been desiring leadership because you viewed it as hierarchy or a position, 
Would you allow God to change your heart? The Bible says actually it's a good thing to desire to lead in his body. But if you desire because you think you'll climb the ladder, allow God to shift your heart this morning. If you've shunned leadership because you've seen the hurt or the control or the insecurity or the lack of impact, allow God to heal your heart and bring freedom today. If you've been hurt in church for any reason, but because of unbiblical pattern, I believe God wants to set you free today. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.